when I was young, which is a long time ago now, when I was young, there was a TV show called The Millionaire. Anybody remember The Millionaire? And there was this story each week, this man by the name of John Bears Petipton would give a million dollars tax-free to somebody. That's what the show was about. Somebody would knock on the door and they would say, Mr. Petipton would like to give you this, and it is one million dollars tax-free. And the rest of the show was how the, what these people did with that money. And, of course, what if somebody came to your house tomorrow, President's Day, knocked at your door and said, there is a million dollars for you, tax-free. I mean, you won't have to say, well, i got a million, but it's going to be 500000 because they'll take out half or something. You just, no, no, you've got one million dollars. How would you respond? Most of us say, no, that's too good to be true. That's not going to happen. Well, you know, the truth is this. In Genesis 17, God reminds Abraham of the promises. Going to have a child. Offspring's going to come through Sarah. And it just seems too good to be true. What does Abraham do when he hears this? What does he do? He laughs. What does Sarah do later on? Because we're going to see this in chapter 18. We haven't got it tonight. We'll see it in a couple of weeks. What does Sarah do when she's in the tent and God says, I will return in one year and she will have the child? What does she do? She laughs. Now, they laugh to themselves. They didn't laugh out loud. And yet God said, you're laughing. And Sarah went, I didn't laugh. He said, yes, you did. See, God knows everything. Sometimes the promises seem too good to be true. They're just amazing. Well, this evening we'll see this powerful passage. God reminds Abraham of the covenant and the promises. And, and this, remember this last time God came to Abraham and told him that, that about the covenant and said, I'm going to keep the covenant. I'm going to do what I said. And chapter 17, verse 5, notice that. No longer, this is God talking to Abram at this time. He says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, which means big daddy. Abe means father. Ram means be exalted. He's the high father or the big daddy. And your name will be Abraham, which means uh, Abe, which comes from Abba, which means father, and Abraham, which means uh, multitudes. And he says, your name, your name now is going to be Abraham, the father of the multitudes. I will, make, I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What a great promise. From high father to father of many nations. It's powerful because from that point on, Abraham, somebody come up and say, how you doing, Abraham? He said, no, I'm sorry, my name's now Abraham. Oh, really? Yeah, come from now. Everybody calls me Abraham. That's what God did. God changed my name. You know, I told you a couple of weeks ago that my sister had a friend growing up. Her name, I think, I can't remember her name, but she she liked the name Beverly, and she changed her name to Beverly. And, and somebody would say, what's your name? And she says, well, it's Beverly. But that's not really her name. No, but I like the name, and I'm going to go by it. And she did. Even she'd have to show her driver's license. That wouldn't be. And she said, well, I thought your name was Beverly. She said, yeah, my real name is this, but I go by Beverly. And so... Uh, Abraham, from that point on, says, my name was Abram, but from now on it's Abraham. God changed his name. We saw that God gave him a sign of the covenant. It was circumcision. Notice chapter 17, verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Here's, what, here's the sign. Every male among you shall be circumcised. We said it had to do with sexual because the whole thing has to come with the seed. It has to come with the promise of a land, a seed, a blessing. That through Abraham is going to come this people group. And this people group that's going to come through him is going to have a Messiah and a Savior. That's why we think it went back to this as the sign. Verse 11. And you shall circumcise in the flesh of your foreskin, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. That's why Jewish people do that. That's because that's the sign of the covenant. He actually told him that every male, eight days old, when the baby is born, when he's eight days old, that's when you do this. And that shows that they come under. That shows that they believe this, they, that they're part of the covenant. Let me tell you this. God's going to fulfill the covenant whether they did this or not. 
they'd be disobedient and they would lose some of their blessings. But God's promise always comes to pass because it's an unconditional covenant. But he wanted them to have a sign to show that they were believing him and they were doing what he said. Well, from there, we, we see that he goes a little further. After the sign of the covenant, he then deals with Sarah. Her name is Sarah at this time. He's going to change it. Let me give you the outline, the breakdown of the passage. He's going to change Sarah's name. And, and it's going to go from Sarai to Sarah. We're going to see Abraham's obedience. And he does exactly what God says. He does the circumcision. Now, think about this. He's, he's 99 years old when he's circumcised. Not eight days old. Every other man there, grown man, here's the new rule, folks. Everybody in my household, because what God has said, this is what we're going to do. There might be some guys say, I don't think I want to be in this group. Right? But that's the plan. Abraham's obedience. We'll see what happened. And then the Lord appears... And the sun is coming. And we're going to see that. It's an incredible passage. We'll just get started in it this week. And next time, we'll get into a lot more details of that. So let's begin. Remember, God has changed Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham. And now, given him the sign of the covenant. And now he says about Sarai. Look at verse 15 of chapter 17. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Now, as, as you look at it, most people would say that Sarah, in most studies, Sarah means the nagger, the one who nags, where Sarah means the princess. And so God's changed her name from the nagger, and maybe, maybe she'd been nagging him. Maybe she nagged him about not having children. Maybe be, Because remember, we've already seen they got into trouble. They were supposed to, God made a promise that from Abraham and Sarah would come the child, the child of the promise. And if you remember several weeks ago, we saw that Sarai came to Abraham, Abram and said, this is not going to work. I'm getting too old. I don't think it'll happen. Why don't I give you my handmaid, Hagar, and you have sexual relations with her, and the child that is born will be counted as my child, because that was the culture. They could do that. And so Abraham or Abram said, that's not a bad idea. It doesn't sound bad to me. And, of course, they did that. And God said, that's a bad move. And the consequences, the offspring, which is Ishmael, who's going to be 13 years older than Isaac, that offspring caused problems from the beginning. They were in conflict. They've been in conflict ever since because the best that we can tell, the descendants of Ishmael and the tribes and the people that came after him are most likely the Arab people. And, of course, Isaac through Jacob and on is, are the Jewish people. And as they fought then, they have been fighting ever since. And so we see that, that the, they should obey God. Well, here's the promise. God said to Abram, Abraham, as for Sarah, Nagar, your wife, you're not going to call her Nagar anymore. <coughs> Sarah shall be your name, princess. There's the change. Because see, we don't want her to forget either. Because the promise is coming. The promise is the promise of a what? A son, a child. Listen, humanly speaking, are they too old? Yeah, they are. And see, God does this on purpose because he wants them to know this child is a special child. This is, a, this is what God does. This is not just something anybody could do. This is what God does so they'll know this is the promised child. Notice it says, Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. Now here's blessing. I will bless her. And indeed, I will give you a son by her. Not a son by her handmaiden. Not a son by Hagar. A son by Sarah. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her. She shall be a mother of nations. Just like Abraham is the father of what? Many nations, the multitude. She's going to be the mother of the multitude. And kings 
of people will come from her. Now, at this stage, he's 99, she's 89. And humanly speaking, he could say, I'm 99 years old, what are the chances? None. And she's 89, what are the chances? Say, none. It's just not going to happen. But God does it. These people, this offspring, are going to be the Jewish people, the Messiah, the Savior. Think of our lives. God can do anything. He can. Anything as long as it's not contrary to his, his character or contrary to a promise. Whatever God promises, He can do. The only things that God cannot do is He cannot go contrary to His character and He cannot go contrary to some other promise or something that He's made. He can do anything. Nothing is impossible with God. He can use anyone, every one of us in this room. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how little the Bible you know, how much Bible you know. It doesn't matter anything. God can take your life and He can use you to do things beyond what you could even imagine. Because He can do anything. In fact, the more you say to God, it cannot be my strength, Lord, it must be your strength through me, the more He can use you. Because Paul says, when I am weak, that's when I, what? I'm strong. It's God through us. So if you said, well, I'd like to you know, be used by God, okay, just let Him use you then. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. You think in the Scripture, Josiah was eight, eight years old when he became king of Israel, boy king, and he straightened a lot of things out at eight, eight years old because he went a little bit further up where he really had some power, but he was a godly young man. And David was a young man when he killed Goliath. He may be as young as 12, 13, 14 years old when he killed Goliath. You're never too young, and you're never too old. How old was Moses when he led the nation of Israel out of Egypt? Eighty years old. You're never too old. Daniel, in the lion's den. How old was Daniel when he's thrown in the lion's den? There's no telling, but he may have been in his 80s there. They'd been in captivity almost 70 years. If he was 14 or 15 years old when he was taken out of the captivity, he'd be 85 years old when he's in the lion's den. We all picture Daniel as a young boy in the lion's den. He's an old man. Still standing for God. You're never too young and you're never too old. You're always just right. You're always just right. Doesn't matter. God reminds Abraham of the promised covenant. And here's what he's done. He changed his name to the father of multitudes. He gave him the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision. And he changed Sarai's name to Sarah. This is so he won't forget. He's saying, I don't want you to forget. I changed your name. I changed her name, and I gave you a sign. Look at his response. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old, and will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? See, he's 99 right now, because if you go back to the start of the chapter, chapter 17, verse 1, Abraham was 99 years old when the Lord appeared to him. He knows that if they get, get a child, it's going to be about a year before they have the child. So he'll be 100. That's why he says, can, can a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? He says, that this, this is too good to be true. It, really? This is amazing. Did you know that the promises of God sometimes seem too good to be true? Think about salvation. What does it cost you to be saved? Absolutely nothing. You mean it's a gift? The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, what does He give you? And you're saved for, for forever? And, and you don't have to keep being good? Do you have to keep believing? Do you have to keep believing? No, you don't. I mean, what's the promise? I give you what? Eternal life and you shall 
never perish. So you, it means that the moment you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, and it's not your works, goodness, righteousness, you trust in Jesus as Savior, you're saved forever? Doesn't that seem too good to be true? Doesn't it seem like maybe you could mess up? You could blow it? That maybe God says, okay, I'll save you, but... But you better act right. No. People say, that's, that's too good to be true. In fact, when we tell people, because our church is sort of famous for having the grace message, and when you tell people that it's just faith alone and Christ alone for eternal life, people say, that's too what? It's too easy. That can't be right. That's too easy. That's too easy. That's not. That can't be that. Can't be right. That's too good to be true. It's too easy. But it is. How about I'll never leave you or forsake you? Which would you ever fear? Don't you think he might leave us just once? No. Will he provide every need that you have? That seems too good to be true, doesn't it? But that's what he said. Can you do all things through Christ who strengthens you? Apart from him, you can do nothing, but with him you can do everything. Isn't that true? Doesn't that seem too good to be true, that you can do all things through the one who gives you strength? I mean, there are promises all over the place. And some of them seem too good to be true. But when God says it, he does it. That's the way it is. You realize this is at least the third or fourth time that God has come to Abraham and said, this is the covenant. 12, 13, 15, now 17. Those chapters. Over and over, he keeps telling them. Sometimes we have to keep being told these kind of things because we go, really, are you sure? Are you, are, are you sure? He laughed. He laughed. And so what did God tell him to name the child? Isaac, which means what? Laughter. It's a good thing he didn't cough. <laughs> okay, I'll call him cough. Oh, no, I know. It's like, you know. <laughs> well, it's a good thing he didn't faint. Call him faint. I don't know. Who knows? Notice what he says. Now, I want you to think about this. Abraham's had two sons. What were their names? Ishmael and Isaac. And Ishmael was 13 years older than Isaac. Did Abraham love Ishmael? Did Abraham love Isaac? Did he love them both? You think he loved them both the same? Probably. All right, you're, you're Abraham. You already got a son that's about 12. And you love him. And God says, here's my plan. The son is coming through Sarah. What, do you, what about this boy? What about this boy? That's exactly what he says. Look at the next verse, verse 18. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. You know what he's saying? Well, what about Ishmael? We don't want to leave Ishmael out. We don't, he doesn't want to get left out. I mean, he's a good boy too. What about that son? Is he the son of the promise? No, he is not. And should he have ever been born? I don't mean this bad. Humanly speaking, should he have ever been born? No, he should not have. The promise is coming through Sarah, not Hagar. And it's going to be named Isaac, not Ishmael. Notice what God says. But God said. Notice the contrast. It starts with but because he's saying, Abraham's saying, Oh, that Ishmael might live. Oh, that Ishmael might have it. What about Ishmael? What about Ishmael? But God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him 
for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. I don't think it could be any clearer. There are people who say, well, God really, really did it through Ishmael. No, I don't think so. No, Sarah will bear you a son. Who bore Ishmael? Hagar, not Sarah. You shall call his name Isaac, not Ishmael, Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, not with the other guy, for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Now, you've got to understand that the covenant that God made with Abraham, Abraham to Isaac, Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Judah, and actually, excuse me, Jacob, uh, uh, Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob. Jacob actually goes, it goes through Judah. Now, Joseph's the famous one in the book, but it's Judah, which the promise keeps going through because the Messiah, Jesus, comes through the tribe of Judah. Over and over, he kept coming. He came to Abraham and said, this is what I'm going to do. Later on, he comes to Isaac when Isaac's grown up and said, this is what I'm going to do. He then comes to Jacob after Jacob's grown up and says, this is what I'm going to do. And we get to the very end of Genesis when they're telling about what's going to happen to all the sons of Jacob. He brings up Judah and says, the king's coming through Judah. He over and over makes sure that they know exactly what the promises are. And so look at verse 19 again, verse 18. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, no, verse 19. No, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. His descendants from Isaac were Jacob. And from Jacob on were the 12 tribes. And Judah was the, the key one there. God's reply makes it very certain that Abraham knows the promise will come through Sarah. He makes it very clear. Sarah's son will be called Isaac, who is laughter. And Hagar's son was Ishmael. Which, got, which what does it mean? Do you all remember what it means? God what? God hears. That's exactly right. Now, there's an everlasting covenant with Isaac. There is no everlasting covenant with Ishmael. Through Abraham and through Isaac and his descendants Jacob and the twelve sons, that's the covenant. When people say, who are the Jewish people? This is how you should say this. Jewish people are not descendants of Abraham. Jewish people are descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob because Abraham had descendants that weren't Jewish. Ishmael, and then Isaac had a son, Jacob and who? Esau. And so whenever you want to say something about Jewish people, you say the Jewish people are descendants of Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. That's the key. Well, what about Ishmael? He's going to tell you what he's going to do. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him. I'll make him fruitful. will multiply him exceedingly. He will become the father of twelve princes, and I will make of him a great nation. Now, do you remember what God said about the uh, personality and the character of this man, Ishmael? What's he going to be like? A wild what? A wild donkey of a man. He's going to, and he's going to fight with everybody, isn't it? He's going to always have trouble. He's going to always have issues. But here's what he says. I, I've heard you. I've heard you. Okay? I'm going to bless him. And when God blesses, God blesses. I'm going to make him fruitful. I'll multiply him exceedingly. He'll become the father of 12 princes. He's going to have 12 nations come from him. 12 people groups come from him. I'll make him a great nation. And that's what he did. But, but look at verse 21. Remember, whenever you're studying the Bible and you see words like but or as, or for, all those. They, you know, but always gives you a contrast. This is what I'm doing for Ishmael, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, 
whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. About a year from now, you're going to have that son. Now, when did God first promise Abraham the son? How old was he? Do you remember when he was in the Earth of the Chaldees and he left? He was how old? He was 75 years old. A year from now, how old is Abraham going to be? A hundred years old. It, 25 years. You say, boy, that's kind of slow on the promises. Well, God wanted to make sure they understood it is a miracle promise. And when God says it, He does it. You don't have to, you know, because they they messed up 13 years earlier. They messed up. That can't be the right son. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless Ishmael. Uh, Everything's going to be great. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, the laughter son, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. The wait is over. They have waited all these years. Years And humanly speaking, you could say, it is not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. But God says, yeah, about this time next year, you're going to have the baby. Why so long? It's going to be the miracle. Now, what have we thought and through, seen through this? We've seen Abram became Abraham. We've seen the sign, the identity with the covenant. We've seen the promise, Sarai goes to Sarah, and she's going to have the child, and, and son Isaac, and he's going to be the child of the covenant. Everything's going to go through him. Now, listen to this. This is in Romans chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. This is what it says about Abraham. Because what did he think about these promises? Here's what it says. With respect to the promises of God, he did not waver. Now, he is Abraham. He did not waver in unbelief. But he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that whatever God had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, the book of Romans tells us in chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, that when Abraham got this, he finally said, okay, whatever God says is right, he's not going to waver concerning the promises. He grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and he said, whatever God promises, he will bring to pass. How do you feel about the promises of God? I mean, there, there's things in the Bible that aren't promised to us, so you can't grab them, and you can't just open the Bible and put your finger down and say, okay, I'm going to claim this promise, because it's probably not for you. But the promises that are, that deal with the, the, the body of Christ and the church and the individuals and things that you look at in the Scripture, how do you feel about those promises? You should say, I'm very confident that whatever God promises, He is able to do. One of my favorite is Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and it says, God who cannot lie promised eternal life. Every one of us in this room, if you have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, He has given to you eternal life, and that's a promise, and I guarantee you, you have eternal life. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you even think it or not, if you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life because God is always able to do everything that He promises. That's why He says, I give you eternal life and you'll never perish. Nobody can pluck you out of My hand. My Father gave to Me is greater than all. Nobody can pluck out of My Father's hand. I and the Father are one. John 10, 27 through 30. That's what Jesus said. So look what happened. My covenant will be with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. Boy, he knows it. He knows it. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. One of the things that we do not know from the Scripture that he does not tell us is in this section, it says the Lord appeared to Abraham. That's chapter 17, verse 1. How did he appear to him? How did he appear to him? You know, that how did God appear to Moses the first time? 
a burning bush. Moses said, there's a bush burning over there and it's not burning up. I think I'll go over there and see what's going on. That's exactly what he said. He walked over there and God said, stand back. Take your shoes off. It's holy ground. How did God appear to Abraham in this passage? We have no idea. In chapter 18, God's going to appear to Abraham again. But you know how he's going to do it? He's going to look like what? He looks like a human being. In fact, best we can tell is two angels and God coming to see Abraham. And we'll see it in just a second. God left. God went up from Abraham. Then what did Abraham do? Because we said the key here is obedience. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all the servants who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. Now, no messing around. God left. He said, okay, let me have your attention, please. All the men on this side. Doesn't matter your age. Does not matter your age. Everybody line up over here. God wants us to do something. <laughs> and he did. And that day, every man... Even slaves, all those bought with money, all the men of Abraham's household. How many fighting men did he have? We know already. How many did he have? 318. That was a fighter. He may have more by now. Who knows? But he had 318 fighting men. He goes on to explain, make sure we understand this. God, He did exactly what God said. Now, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. 99. Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the same day, Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael, his son. And then he goes on and ends the chapter by saying, All the men of the household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Every man came under the picture of the covenant. He said, this is the sign that we believe God. This is the sign that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. Because we're just showing that we are connected with God who made these promises. It's powerful. Now, not long after this, God just told him, in about a year from now, you're going to have the baby. Now, I'm just going to get started in chapter 18, but we don't know how long it was after this event, but it couldn't have been very long. Notice what happens. Now, the Lord appeared to him by the oak of Mamre, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. Now, where Abraham lived, was uh, the land originally was owned by a man by the name of Mamre, and he had two other brothers. There were three guys that owned this land. And there was a big tree there, several trees called the Oaks of Mamre. They belonged to Mamre, and they were his trees. And yet Abraham has part, is living on part of that land. We know that uh, uh, when Abraham needs a place to bury his family, he has to buy the land from the people. Because even though Abraham, even though God has said, this is all your land, does Abraham actually own it and possess it? No, he doesn't. In fact, he never really got it all in his lifetime. Never. In fact, that's why the book of Hebrews says that Abraham and those others were looking forward to the fulfillment of the promises one day. So he's uh, at the Oaks of Memory. He's got a tent there. We're going to find that Sarah lives in the tent. Now, if you just picture that Here's Abraham, and here's his little tent, and here's his little place where they cook food. Remember, Abraham has how many soldiers in his household? I mean, if you said, where does Abraham live? You'd say, well, right here, and all of this is his. See all those people, all those tents, all those people? That's all his people. They all are part of him. 
So it's huge. Just don't picture little Abraham in his tent. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of memory while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. The beginning of the chapter is very clear. Who is appearing to Abraham? What does it say? The Lord. Now notice this. Tell me something about the name Lord there. What do we know from that name? It's Yahweh because it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's all four capital letters. Whenever you see that in the Scripture, that's the old, te- that's the Hebrew word YHWH, which we often call it Yahweh. It is the personal name of God. So God personally is coming there. Sometimes you'll see Lord with a capital L and little O-R-D, and that's the word Adonai, which means the master or even deity. But this is the personal name of God. Now, the Lord appeared to him. So the writer, Moses, wants you to know at the beginning of this story that this is God appearing to Abraham. Because you can't tell it. Because he looks up and he sees three people. And... And what does he say about it? Watch what happens. Now, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of memory while he's sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. It's kind of siesta time because it's hot. It's really hot. And they didn't do things in the middle of the day. They didn't. They did things early in the day and later in the day because it's too hot in the middle of the day. So he's at home resting. He lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Now, why is he running to them? And why does he think something special about these three men? Do you have any idea? Well, yeah, it said, what does it say? He lifted up his eyes and behold, three men were standing opposite him. Now, normally he could have said, I believe there's some people coming. They're a long way off. And then he could rest a little bit, and he said, yeah, I believe they are coming. It looks like about three of them, but they're way over there by the time they get to me. But that's not what happened. He looked up, and suddenly there were, what, three people standing there. You think he thought something was unique about this? I think he did. I think he did. What did he do? He saw three men opposite him, and when he saw them, what did he do? He ran, well, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. I think two things stand out. What is, what is the one that you just said? What did he do? He, he bowed down, right? He bowed down. Now, was he just being nice? I mean, was he just saying, oh, how you doing, stranger? He may have been just a great guy. But you know, Abraham is pretty famous already. And he's pretty rich already. And he's been known as a warrior because they've whipped those four or five kings already. And so he has a big reputation already. Why did he bow down? Now, there's a second thing. How old is he? 99. What did he do? He what? He ran. Any of you having trouble running anytime now? If you're older? He's 99. He's almost 100 years old. He's running. Ran to meet him. Bowed down to the earth. He's almost 100. She's almost 90. Was it just a sign of hospitality? Or did he think there may be something special about these three people? And he said, My Lord, if now I found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Now the word for Lord there is is a common word that he would he could have said that to any person. Being is a, a nice way of just saying, you know, my Lord, uh, you know, would you don't pass by? He said, Allow me to serve you. Please let let a little water be brought to wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree, under the big tree by the tent. The oaks of memory, the big oak tree. Uh, there's my tent. 
Don't leave. Why don't you let me go get some water and wash your feet? I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And then after that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, they said, the three, so do as you have said. Now, we're going to see next time, next time we look at this passage, that he, I think he thinks something's unique here. They just appeared. I think he believes it's God. Now, it could be that he's just being real nice. But we're going to see what he does. They say, yeah, he goes back and tells Sarah, Sarah, fix three big things of bread. He goes out and gets one of the best, best animals he's got. Says, cook it up. And he brings it to them. Now, their culture is a little different than ours. Yeah, let me tell you, if you'd shown up in the heat of the day, what would he have done for you? Would he got any water for you? Would he probably fed you? Yes. Yes. That's their culture. What's our culture like? Somebody knocks at our door. Don't open it. Who is it? I don't know who it is. They probably want to sell Girl Scout cookies. Don't open it. Sometimes we don't even know our neighbors. Sometimes we drive in our cars. And we have those garage door openers that you press a little thing and the garage goes up. You slide in and it goes down. And you never talk to your neighbors. And somebody moves in and, and they've been there two years and you still never, you've never even talked to them yet. Isn't that our culture? But their culture wasn't that way. I mean, you tra- when you traveled, you traveled. And it wasn't easy to travel. And when you stopped somewhere, somebody said, boy, you've been traveling. Want something to eat? Want something to drink? Maybe we ought to be nicer. The next time, what happens when these three show up? What have we seen tonight? We've seen he changes Sarai's name to Sarah, what God had promised he's going to bring to pass. Abraham laughed. He said, just seemed too good to be true. But the covenant will be a son by Sarah named Isaac, born in about a year. And Abraham obeyed. They did the circumcision deal just like they were supposed to. And they're trusting God. The application is not very many tonight. Just two things I want you to see. Number one, think about this. Sometimes the promises of God just seem too good to be true. They do. The Word of God has many promises for us. And sometimes they just seem too good. You say, you, you know, really? Do you believe the promises of God? Do we trust His Word? We need to know the Word of God. That's why we need to study it. So whatever promises are there for us, we can trust them. He is the El Shaddai. He is the God Almighty. He is the one who can do anything. Whatever He promises, He is able to do. So one of the things we need to do is we need to study the Scripture so we can know what promises are for us so that we can trust them. We can believe God's going to do that. My favorite, of course, is the salvation promise. He says, I give you eternal life and you'll never perish. What does He give you? Eternal life and you shall never perish. If you were to say, but I think you could lose your salvation, you don't understand the promises of God. You don't understand it. And, I, and my heart breaks for you. If you were to say, well, I think you might could lose your salvation or, or maybe you've got to do this. or you Listen, you don't understand the promise. The promise is, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. It's a promise. The promise that says, I will provide every need that you have. That's a promise. The promise that says you can do all things through the one who strengthens you. That's a promise. Over and over again. When we see the promises of God, sometimes it almost appears they're too good to be true. They're never too good to be true as whatever he says they will always come 
to pass. I pray that we'll trust the promises of God, especially the one for salvation. You trust in Him, it gives you eternal life. And I hope and pray not only you have eternal life, but you know you have eternal life because you trust the promises of God. The second thing, let's obey God. Just like, what did Abraham do? As soon as God left, God said, I want you to have a sign of the covenant. And then he left. And Abraham didn't go, well, you know, I'm going to think about this one for several days. Because <laughs> that's not going to be an easy thing to do. It's not going to be an easy thing to get all the men to agree to this. It's just not going to be an easy thing to do. But he didn't say, let me think about this for several days. The same day that God left, he brought together the men and he obeyed God. I think one of the keys in our lives is to obey God. When we see in the Scripture that there are things for us to do and things not to do, those kind of things, we need to obey it. We need to live by the Scripture. May we trust the promises of God, even when they seem too good to be true. We realize that He indeed is God Almighty, the El Shaddai, and He will be able to do whatever He promises. May we base our lives on the Word of God. Let's pray. If you have questions or comments, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about them. Heavenly Father, thank You for the passage. Thank You for these truths. As we look at the life of Abraham and Sarah and the promises and how You said they're going to have the child. And, and you know, Lord, as we study the Scripture, exactly a year later, the baby was born. His name was Isaac. Laughter. Just what You said in every promise. The promise from Abraham to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob and Jacob on to Judah and Judah on down to David and David on down to Jesus. Everything You ever said always come to pass. Every promise that You make, even when they seem too too good to be true. You always do exactly what you say. May we trust those promises. And then, Lord, may we obey you. May we do like Abraham, that, that what you told him to do, he did. May we be men and women who obey the word of God. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, any questions, comments? I know we went over just a little bit. Anything? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you see that as a, a move of Satan to discredit uh, the true faith? And is that a way of deceiving people? I see it exactly as basically as you're saying. I see it's the counterfeit. Everything that Satan does is a counterfeit. And picking Ishmael as the son rather than Isaac. I mean, they just say he's the son rather than Isaac. So everything came through Ishmael. So we are the chosen people, not Jewish people. And that's just the counterfeit, you might say. Always, always is something. Of course, you know, we say, well, if Ishmael hadn't been born, we wouldn't be having this trouble, most likely. But there is a big if there. And, uh, but I, you're right. I see it's all, uh, you know, any, anything that can move people away or to doubt the truth of the Scripture, that's what we see all the time. Just like in Sunday school, all of this New Age movement and all these cults and all these things, they just move people off the truth of Jesus Christ and onto anything else. And so even in this this aspect of the Jewish people and the Arab people and the descendants, people would say, yeah, Abraham's the man, but it's Abraham through Ishmael, not Abraham through Isaac. But if you looked at the Scripture very carefully, God says very plainly, it will be through Sarah and the son is Isaac. That's the promised one. And he can't say it any clearer because Abraham said, well, what about Ishmael? What about Ishmael? And uh, so God makes it very clear. But you're exactly right. Good point. What else? Yes. Well, I mean, you know, you, you can, you know, yeah, you're right. Anybody can say anything they want to say. And that's why people will come up today and they'll say, you know, there were lost books of the Bible and here they are. I mean, you can go to the bookstore on campus 
You can find those lost books right now. They're not lost books. They were there. They were checked out a long time ago when we were never part of the Scripture. But there are people who would tell you today that there are lost books of the Bible that were never put in the Bible or were supposed to be in the Bible, were taken out of the Bible, and we've got them now. And it's just people just, just forgot them. And that's not true at all. But there are people who will say that, just like they'll say that really the promise was made through Ishmael and all those promises and all the writings of Muhammad and all these things were just the Jewish people knew about them but hid them. They can say that. Anybody can say anything they want to say, but and that's what they do to make it fit their plan. It, it, they're rewriting it all the time, aren't they? I mean, if you've lived long enough, you already see some of the things that's happened in our lifestyle, a lifetime that they're already trying to change. And we go, that's, just not, that's not what happened. That's not what's happened. Do what? Well, uh, the tr- yeah, if, you, if the truth is that God made a covenant with a man by the name of Abraham and that through Abraham there would be a land for his people, there would be a great nation that would come from him, there would be a Messiah that would come from him who is the Savior of the world, who is the Son of God, and that every nation of the world could be blessed through Abraham because the Savior would come and all who would believe in Jesus Christ would have eternal life. And a lot of people don't want to believe that. That is the truth. Hazel, did you have something you wanted to say? Who? I can't remember. Wasn't he 175? We'll get to it, but I have, I just I can't remember. Wasn't he 175? Believe they did. They did. He did. He married Keturah and had a bunch of kids there, but they didn't get any promise either. Yeah, Abraham, he was kind of a unique guy. Because he married after Sarah died and had other children through this other woman, Keturah. Yes. But, yeah, okay, go ahead, and then we'll get judged. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the best I can tell, before the flood, people lived a lot longer. And we think it's because of the way the climate was and everything. And then after the flood, you notice all that they begin to go from 300 years to 200 years to 100 and something years. Some of these people lived a long time. Some of them didn't. And as you get a little bit into this, I think they just live longer. And even when, even when uh, uh, they go down, when Jacob goes into the land, that goes into Egypt, Jacob's an old man, and he says he's an old man. He's, you know, older, and, and he says, well, I'm just an old man, and my years of my journey have been many, many. So I just think they live longer. And you notice as time went by, and uh, that man began to live less and less and less and less, and as you got into the Middle Ages, people died all the time because of diseases and everything else. And then because doctors and, and things that we've been able to discover, we're beginning to lengthen it back out a little bit, but still 70 to 75 to 80 years is still about the average. And, yeah, J.J.? Okay. Well, I think that since it'll be a new heaven and a new earth, that land won't be there in that sense because it'll be a new heaven and a new earth. The land that he promised to them is based on this earth for sure. And so they, when he says forever, I think he means as far as long as there is an earth. And he's going to take, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, and, and there'll be a new city, Jerusalem. Now, what my understanding is probably based on that new city, Jerusalem, since it's called New Jerusalem, I think the Jews are going to have some part of 
that aspect besides us having a part of that aspect. Though the land, you mean? That's when the fulfillment of them possessing all of the land, it will happen during the thousand-year reign of Christ when he sits on the throne in Jerusalem. That will be the fulfillment of the covenants because the covenants have never been completely fulfilled yet because they've never totally possessed the land that he promised them. They've never had the king on the throne, and the blessing hasn't been all for the whole world yet, but it will when Jesus comes and sits on the throne. We don't know about... He didn't say anything about a land for the Jewish people in the the uh, eternal state. He doesn't say anything there. He just talks about a new heavens and a new earth and the holy city Jerusalem coming down. He describes the city and all of that. But he says that all of us will serve him forever. That's all he really says. He doesn't get into details there. Okay, good stuff. What else? Anything else? Yeah, Randy? Right. Okay. The name Hebrew, the, 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 when we say Jewish people as a whole, they got really three names. They got Hebrews, because the word Hebrew means the one who crosses over. When Abraham left the Ur of the Chaldees and crossed over the Tigris Euphrates River and came to that land, he became known as a Hebrew. Because he, he said, we're the ones who crossed over, Hebrews, Hebrews. So all that became Hebrews. Then later on, they became known as uh, Israelites because of, of from Jacob's name being changed to Israel. And the descendants of Jacob, which the 12 sons, became known as Israelites because they were descendants of Israel. And then when the nation of Israel divided into two parts, the northern empire and the southern empire, the northern empire uh, had, you know, was called uh Israel and the southern empire was called Judah because the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, came together. And the nickname for the people who lived in Judah were Jews. So they're called Jews because it goes back to Judah. They're called Hebrews because they crossed over. And they're called Israelites because they're descendant of Jacob, Israel. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I looked it up. I had to do some etymology to look it up to, to figure etymology. They may say that the original people from Abraham through Ishmael could be called Hebrews since they crossed over in Abraham, but I don't think they would. I don't think they want to be called that. I don't think they. No, they don't want to. They don't want to be connected with that. They think they're separate through Ishmael and then into Esau as well. Well, that's no doubt about that. Yeah. But they think they did. We don't know anything about them. They're not connected in that same way. Only through Isaac is the promise. Okay, well, we better, we better stop because time has really gone by. Okay, Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for each one who's here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.